we look at a personality typing tool as just a way to justify our behavior, mm -hmm. it can kind of become this arrogant thing of, well, I do this, but you just have to deal with it because this is who exactly, I am. Right. Yeah. As opposed to saying, no, I understand that these are some of the tendencies that I have in my life that can be negative. It's not necessarily an excuse to be who you are. Right. No. It's a tool that says, if this is who I am, this is how I can become a healthier version exactly. of that right. person. Welcome to the Real Talk Podcast from Real FM. Here's Anson, Kara, and Isaac. Hello and welcome to episode four of season three of the Real Talk Podcast. Anson, Kara, and Isaac along with you for another episode today where we're tackling the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a fascinating topic because yes. with the people that I've talked about this with, there's a lot of different takes mm. on the usefulness of the Enneagram. That's true. And the validity of the Enneagram. Yeah. There are people that I know who take this thing as gospel and yeah. they're super, super into it. Sure. And every time you talk to them, that's what they want to talk about is like, let's try to figure out what personality type you are. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then there's the people who say, no, this is like occult satanic mysticism all the oh, way on right. the other side. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of different views on the Enneagram and we're going to dive into that a little bit this week. First, I just want to say, in my opinion, no, I don't think it's satanic yeah. occult mysticism. Yeah. I've read a couple of articles this week claiming that yeah. and it kind of has me <laughs> scratching my head. I have a feeling a lot of it's because of the name mm. Enneagram and the symbol for the Enneagram, oh, yeah. which kind of, I don't know, it recalls looks, it images. It looks pretty brutal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of recalls like images of the pentagram and oh. Enneagram and pentagram both end in gram. Yeah. But then They're so does drawings. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't make point. everything. You can't do that. Well, Real Talk is a show where we get real about everything from current events to culture to faith. That's what we're going to be doing on this week's show with the Enneagram discussion. But first, it's yes. time for our shameless plug. For the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been shamelessly plugging the fact that you can get involved in supporting Real FM yes. financially. Which That's is right. awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not sure a lot of people feel that way about fundraising. Uh, and, but you made a really good point from a book I think that you were reading, Kara, the mm -hmm, other day mm -hmm. about the community aspect of fundraising. Yeah, it's something I hadn't really thought about a lot. It's from a book by Henry Now, and I think it's called The Spirituality of Fundraising, which seems really bizarre because... Mm -hmm. I think all of us kind of initially when we started getting more involved in our fundraisers, we're like, man, I feel yeah. about this. And he makes the point that fundraising is an opportunity to deepen the community that you're a part of, to be more deeply involved. And then mm. part of what we have to offer in giving people an opportunity to support us is to just be a deeper part of this community. And yeah. that is extremely valuable and something that we're all if we're honest, hungry for, we're all mm. really lonely and we all need a deeper, more permanent connection to community in some way. And so that's kind of what fundraising does is gives you an opportunity to invest in something and then become a more integral part of it. You can take ownership of it. Exactly. Yeah. You can say, like, I'm a part of making Real FM happen, which yeah. is pretty cool. So exciting. we're just giving you that opportunity here yeah. over the last couple of weeks. We've just kind of been presenting that as an opportunity. You are welcome to do that in whatever way God is leading you. Mm. But we've specifically kind of been recommending this $10 a month level, basically the same price as like a Spotify subscription. Yes. But instead of just not having ads with your music, which by the way, Real FM doesn't have ads. So right, you, right. you won't have ads either. 
But in addition to just not having ads with your music, this is kind of what we're talking about mm, is being exactly. a part of a community, making sure that Real FM is going to be available to people to help give them hope during times where they might really, really need mm. it, whether that's through the music on Real FM or through the Real Talk podcast. Yeah. And yeah. I just did this math really quick in my head. $10 <laughs> a month over 30 days is like 0.33333333 cents. Impressive. And okay. that was all in my head. Wow. <laughs> but no, really like 33 cents a day. That's that's pretty cheap for keeping wow. Real FM going. You can give online. You can go to our website, realfm.online. You can become a monthly supporter of Real FM there. Thank you for even considering that. We yeah. know it's not something that you have to do. And we're not trying to make this a pressure filled thing or hype it up or anything crazy. We we just want to put the invitation out there in front of you and say, hey, if you'd like to be a part of the Real FM team, if you'd Mm -hmm. like to be a part of this community, if you'd like to support the work that Real FM is doing and hopefully will continue to do down the road, Mm -hmm. we want you to be able to support Real FM. Yes. Let's talk about what we're into this week and let's kick it off with Kara. Guys, I'm really excited about this one. I am super into right now introducing my fiance to Harry Potter. Ah. Oh my word. Okay. So we've been meaning to do this for a long time. Mm -hmm. I've been telling him about it and we've been so busy with wedding planning. We have kind of lost track of time. And so it got to crunch time because we went to a live symphony performance of the Chamber of Secrets. Is that the one? Yes. The Chamber of Secrets. Okay. Last weekend. And so he had never seen any of these. And I was like, "Okay, well, this is the second movie. So we have to watch the first one before we watch the second one, hoping, you know, this will hook him in and we'll want to watch all of them. I had to do a little bit of disclaimer because, you know, the beginning of the Harry Potter series is like a little bit like kids movie. You're like, why is this so exciting Uh to people if you're not in the fandom? So I did a little bit of prep work and gave some of my very insightful commentary and like, let me read you this passage (laughs) from the book that goes with the movie. That's Mm. so exciting to his credit. He got I know it's so nerdy. So out of character for you, I know, I know. It's so great. (laughs) But he was very good sport about it. He was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of cool. I kind of see where this is going. So he's like, I'm excited to watch this second movie and see the live symphony with it. And so that was a really, really fun experience. And he said to me after that, you know, I'm kind of excited to see the third movie now. I was like, yes, mission accomplished. So I am really excited, though. It's been really fun to delve back into it myself because there are pieces that I have forgotten already Mm. And it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago since I've read the series for the first time and watched the movies myself. And I was super excited the other night just being reintroduced to all the characters and getting caught up in the world again (laughs) and the music and all the things. Have you guys done the uh, What House Cody is in yet? Have you figured Um, it out? (laughs) So we haven't done an official quiz, but I'm pretty sure he's a Gryffindor. So we've like diagnosed. My friends friends and I have diagnosed him. It is. I know. Poor Cody. But he's been a good sport. And Gryffindor is a good one to be associated oh, yeah. with. Yeah. If you're going to like Absolutely. randomly put someone. That's my house. I know. Yeah, yeah it's a good one. So represent. he was OK with that. He's like, it seems like a good place to go. I was like, well, yeah. that's where everybody's favorite characters are. So. Oh, man. There is just something so fun, whether it's Harry Potter or uh, some other book or movie yeah. or video game or whatever. There's something about when you experience some epic story for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I don't know. I always find myself longing to recreate that experience. Yes. Like, yeah. oh, if only I could go back and experience this thing again. Yep. for the first time. Yes. And the closest I think you can get to it is introducing a friend or a sure. family member mm-hmm. or something to that thing. Watching them experience it. Yeah. Assuming that they actually enjoy it I and know. like it the way you do. <laughs> if they don't, that could just be absolutely I crushing. Know. That would be yeah. devastating. So, so, yes, thank you, Cody, for playing along and being excited. I was going to say, this. yeah, really either he's like that. genuinely excited about it or, or he's smart enough to know yes. he doesn't want to crush your spirits. <laughs> thank you for not crushing my spirits. <laughs> either way, good on you, Cody. <laughs> way to go. 
What I'm into this week is basically getting ready for fall. Um, <sighs> for the yes. first time in Northwest Arkansas, it was below 60 degrees for a high mm. yeah. this season, and I was so hyped. It was not even okay. I opened up the sweater drawer making the yep. heavenly mm-hmm. like noise. Sweater drawer returns. Sweater drawer. And uh, me and my wife are getting a Rick. I've learned that wood comes in a Rick, a half Rick, and something like probably like a rod. Just a bobby. Just a bobby. Oh my gosh. Ricks and bobbies. That's wood. what I thought. At first I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> I am dealing with people who are three times as masculine as I am to have wood <laughs> delivered to my house. So like these guys will roll up in this pickup truck that's oh. like really cool. Two lumberjacks get out that are somehow eight feet tall. They're like, here's your wood. And I'm like, hey guys, the wood goes over here. <laughs> and it's next to like my Chewbacca poster in the garage. I like adjust my nerdy glasses. And okay, like, hey, but we're Thanks. getting ready for fall. <laughs> You are getting ready for you got your um like hunter orange you beanie do. out too. So. It's very folly. Beanie season is finally justified for me. It's exciting. Um but we built our first fire in our house for the fall Ooh. season and our house has that like heater smell to yes. it now. Yeah. I noticed uh, that this week too. When you so turn on nice. the heater. I turned for the first on the heater time. for the first yeah. time and I was like, yeah. I kind of forgot that I love this smell. Yeah. Like it's kind of a weird thing, yeah. but yeah. it makes me feel cozy and like want to cuddle up and yeah. We turned ours on and my daughter like was upstairs and she came downstairs and she was like, dad, upstairs smells bad. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe she's not quite as into it, I guess. The upstairs is burning. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but just like this time of the year, I just get so stoked on everything. Like the crisp in the air. Like I I definitely have seasonal affective disorder, but I think it works for my advantage. It works the other way around. I really like this time of the year. (laughs) At least for the first few months of being cold, right? Like you kind of get into it before the magic starts to wear yeah. off yes. in like January. Right. Oh, January is the worst, but I'm, <laughs> January I'm is the worst. milking the season for all it's yes. going to get me right Agreed. now. My thing that I'm into this week is actually reading with my daughter, Avi. Oh, nice. so my daughter, Avi is in first grade. She's six years old and she's really starting to get into reading and it's really, really fun. Yeah. She's to the point now where she can actually read some simple books by herself. Oh, wow. And so she's constantly saying, dad, come sit down with me on the couch <laughs> and we can read this book. And she's Aww. reading to me. That's, That's so awesome. cool. And the books have finally gotten past the like C spot run. Yes. Like, C spot <laughs> jump phase. I mean, we're still relatively simple, but like yesterday. Yesterday, she read the book about the lion and the mouse. I don't know if you know that that story about like the lion catches a mouse and the mouse says like, let me go and maybe I can help you down the road. And and so then the lion lets the mouse go. And then when the lion gets trapped, the mouse is able to chew the lion out of the like hunter's trap. Oh, yes. I remember this. You know that story? Yeah. Yeah. Help people. Yes. It's like an Aesop's fable or something. Yeah. 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 And so she's starting to read some of those still very like simple stories. Sure. Stuff that, again, goes a little bit beyond like the basic three word sentence. Yes. Format. That's really cool. And so, yeah, it's really, really fun to read with her. And I don't know, guys, I know neither of you have kids, so I'll try to explain this in a way. It's something I'm discovering having kids. Mm. This phenomenon of being so insanely proud of oh. your child's accomplishments. Oh. Like, there's something about sitting next to your daughter as she's reading and going, like, my child can read. Like, <laughs> she's learned how to read. And, like, I'm so proud of her for being yeah. able to read. I know this can probably be taken too far and you yeah. can go the opposite direction, sure. like live vicariously through your right. kids' accomplishments or whatever. But there is an element of that that I think is very pure yeah. as well, oh, yeah. where you're just like incredibly happy and satisfied mm. with your child's accomplishments. 
perhaps even more so than you could ever be satisfied through your own. Interesting. And that's an experience that is very new to me. Yeah. And I'm still kind of figuring out what that looks like, but it's really, really cool. That this is, is cool. the most wholesome moment. I know. Podcast. It's so sweet. So happy My heart right is now. glowing. <laughs> It reminds me of what we were just talking about, actually, with the Harry Potter thing, like mm-hmm. experiencing it vicariously through them. Right. It's like your child is experiencing the adventure of life. Yes. And yeah. you are getting to re-experience those first moments yourself. But your interest is their interest. So it's yeah. more pure because right. you're so excited for them and their yeah. discovery. I, I really do think if there's one thing that having kids teaches you, it's learning to be selfless. Mm-hmm. And there are times where you feel really, really selfish and yeah. really upset at them for not allowing <laughs> you that selfishness. But mm-hmm. it's this kind of journey towards selflessness. And to me, this is just kind of one little glimpse of that, of like, wow, I can truly care about what someone else is accomplishing more than what I might accomplish. It is my turn to talk about how to adult navigating the potholes of adulthood together. All of the things that we've presented in this uh, part of the podcast so far have been us saying, I'm not navigating this part of adulthood very well. Can Mm. you please help me? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm doing again today. I was like, I just need help. So the thing that I'm trying to navigate is procrastination Mm -hmm. and prioritizing during a season of overwhelm. Ah, Because I think the two are connected for me. I'm in a season where, let's be honest, I'm really overwhelmed. It's wedding season. We're about just a couple of weeks from the wedding, really. And so my brain feels like it's on overload. And so what happens is I look at a list of things and I'm like, all of these things seem equally important Mm. and I have no idea where to start or how to prioritize them. And so therefore I am just going to procrastinate and like not yeah, do right. any of them because that seems like a good idea. Yeah, right. So I really struggle with this and I'm trying to be a grown up about it and like make myself do things, but it really can be like a paralyzing thing in a season sure. of overwhelm. And we're going to talk about the Enneagram in a little bit. And it's <laughs> I, funny because literally all I can think about I know because <laughs> this is something that the Enneagram has made me more aware of as a type nine. It's something I really struggle with you guys. And I'm just wondering if you have any genius life hacks for this or ways that you've been able to kind of work around it or mm, yeah. I don't know. I think it's good that you've connected prioritization and procrastination because mm. I do think those things are connected. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of times when we tend to procrastinate is when we're not doing a good job of right. prioritizing. Exactly. And one kind of leads to the other. Mm. So I think you're halfway there yeah. just by <laughs> understanding that connection. Yes. Yeah. And then the next kind of thing is, all right, how you go about prioritizing. Right. Yeah. And I think one thing that I've kind of found is we tend to prioritize things that feel urgent or right in front of our Mm, face as opposed to the things that are most important. And urgency does not equal importance. (laughs) And I think that's a mistake that we make a lot of times is we think that the most urgent things are the most important. And so figuring out how to carve out some space for things that are important, but not Mm. urgent. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really, really critical. Yeah. Mm. And I would add to that. I've been talking with Brie, like both of us have elements of our job that it's just our least favorite thing to do in the yes. day. Oh, yeah. And uh, we've been really talking about this and like strategies to sort of work through those because it's stuff that you need to get done. Right. But you just like bump it further and further down your to-do <laughs> exactly. list it doesn't get done. Right. Uh, and just in my own personal time mm-hmm. tackling my stuff, I set up little reward systems for like, yes. if I hate doing something, I at least do it in a place that I like. So That's good. Later today, one of my least favorite things to do about one of my favorite things to do Uh is doing podcast prep. So today I'm doing podcast prep at Poor John's local coffee shop. Perfect. So I'm going, so like the things that you 
dislike doing, I at least try to get them done in a place that I like. Yes. Or maybe like put bumpers up like before and after a task that you've done that you don't like doing. Mm, so maybe like that's as good. I get into production work, I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and yes. maybe like a Milano cookie or something. <laughs> and then after that, you reward yourself with a walk or something like yes, right. set that's up good. tiny little rewards and it doesn't have to be big. Right. It's like I said, like you can just change your environment with that's your good. least favorite thing. I, like I love that. doing the podcast, but just the preparation. Sure. Yeah, I totally. Hate, I hate prep of any kind. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I promise you this is really yeah. how I walk through life. <laughs> yeah, That's I smart. Like that. Can I toss in one more yes, thing? Please, yes, please. Get help. Ah, yes. 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 Oh I need gosh. help. <laughs> well, not like, that's why well, I'm here. I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're asking us, that's which why, is good, yeah, yeah. Exactly. but whether it's your fiance, oh, friends, yeah, whatever, yeah. when you're in the middle of all of that stuff, yes. an outside perspective helps yes. so much. Oh, that's so good. And someone else can look at your to-do list and say, you probably ought to be prioritizing that. Yes. And it might seem really obvious and you might not have been exactly. aware of it. Yeah. Cause when you're overwhelmed and you look at it and it all just looks like priority five, yeah. right. then you just shut down. Like that's not helpful. And if right. someone can say, actually you probably don't have to do that thing for a couple more weeks you're like oh really exactly. okay that's cool then yep. i can focus on these other things and so. the yes. real ones in your life are going to be happy to look at your to-do list yes with you oh help you that's good good advice guys Right, Kara, after we made all that wonderful progress helping you get things knocked out. Yes. Let's get into the negative zone of overrated. <laughs> let's. Where I mercilessly roast everyone's favorite things, persons, places, nouns, really. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier getting ready for fall. Yeah. And with that comes fall festivals. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I'm going to say right now, I'm not telling my wife that I'm going to be talking about this on this podcast. Okay. Uh-oh. But I will s- a direct message to her. Bree. <laughs> Let me finish before you have an opinion. Because Fair. I think that my wife has RSVP'd to at least 50 fall festivals on Facebook right Uh-oh. now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And I am going to try to go to about three of them. You're going to roast fall festivals. I'm going to roast fall that's festivals. A, that's brave. This might get as many people upset with you as we're upset with me about roasting Halloween. So. Get ready. Or, because or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. We don't talk about that. Oh. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Get ready because I'm about to drop some truth bombs on this. Um, So here's the deal. Fall festivals are normally a pretty kitschy, fun way to spend time with a loved one. However, Mm -hmm. I have been going to these for a while now. My wife is really big on all festivals. Uh Uh-huh. And I have developed a sort of system for rating them. Uh-huh. Recently, I was at one where everything there had to be homemade within like a 50 mile radius of Silent oh. Springs. It was awesome. Yeah. It was really cool. That's cool. Do you know why it was awesome? Because it wasn't just vendors who set up plastic tables and sold stuff off of Oriental Trading Post. Uh, uh-huh. And fair. that's what like 90% of festivals are. It's a crummy face painting uh, stand where an 11 year old paints 8 year old's faces <laughs> and they're selling the sticky gummy hands that they bought in bulk for like uh, a yeah. 20 bucks yeah. right? for a dollar each. <laughs> and I just am over it. Yeah. I think that it's time mm. that we all stopped pretending that if you sticky tack orange leaves on something, you can sell it. <laughs> I think that the majority of fall festivals are super lame and I'm uh, over them. Cancel oh them. Do something better with your time. It's not worth it. I have wow. noticed a lot of these like festivals, whether it's fall festivals or just any time of yeah, year. Yeah. They have all of these vendors that sell stuff. Yes. And a lot of it does seem to be like 
crappy bulk bot like yeah. Amazon yeah. Yeah. junk. It's, it's so bad. Not and you're kind of so like, bad. yeah, why? What's the point of this? Yeah, because yeah. festivals are supposed to be like local celebrations. And yeah, mostly it's like, oh, that's the same food that I ate at the last festival. Right, <laughs> the yeah. Same. Right. Yeah. yeah. The only yeah. benefit are the food trucks. But honestly, other than that, I'm kind of over it. I think that like <laughs> it's tapping into this hometown nostalgia thing when really these are just vendors that do these circuits. Right. Like yes. they're not local people. Yeah. They just oh. kind of have they a tour. roll up with their yeah, there's unfortunate. This, there's this huge one that everyone goes to every year. The biggest attraction is quilts. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. They're lame. I'm sorry. They're lame. Oh, you can go oh, to a corn maze. Maze. Let's roast quilts. Yeah. You, can, <laughs> you can go to a corn maze. Those are fun. Okay. Those if you're fun. tall, people are going to use you to navigate it. <laughs> I feel, I feel useful there. Yeah, it's awesome. But honestly, like, I don't get it. I really don't. I'm mm. sorry, guys. Mm. You can okay. defend them if you want, but I think that there's... I honestly like, don't have much to I defend don't have much here because th- I'm not a big fan of them either. Yeah. I, I don't like shopping in general. Yeah. So yeah. honestly, even like the ones that are cool and local yeah. and stuff, like I don't I even really like going to those. It's just not my jam. I would literally do anything to avoid shopping, <laughs> yeah. especially like browse shopping yes. of any kind. Like my version of shopping is like, I need this thing. I'm going to yeah. go, go get, get that it. thing and then I'm going to go back home, Uh, going to like a fall fest or something. That's not the point, right? The whole point is the browsing. Exactly. And that's the part that I hate. So I feel like on my own, I would pretty much avoid these. I mean, let's face it. We're all three introverts. So we're like, ew, people and stuff. (laughs) My fiance and I haven't had time to go to any of these things because wedding planning. But I can see us gravitating towards those things because he's an extrovert and sure. if it was an opportunity to like go with him and like oh it's an excuse to hold his hand and walk around and like then yeah. then I can see that and yeah. like we're outside and it's fall and it feels festive yeah that's cool and maybe there's some like local pumpkin bread or something yeah. that we can buy I can see that but yeah. you're right at a certain point it's like I've done this before yeah. a few times let me offer a alternative to okay. people who are trying to go to these kitschy fall festivals uh-huh. chances good. are there's a local church that has a pumpkin patch in oh. your town right Yes. It's money going towards a good cause. It's a good cause. You can get pictures taken with pumpkins. Yes. You can create these fall festival experiences just with you and your crew. You don't have to go around stinky people <laughs> and buy cheap plastic toys. Like That's you can fair. go go to a local pumpkin patch, support yeah. local businesses. It's you a- can kind of do it yourself. Now it is time for what has quickly become one of my favorite segments here on the show. It's Mad Lib the News. The news now with 200% more fun. Yep. Where we take news stories and we turn them all topsy-turvy and insert words that don't belong. Exactly. In order to make the news significantly more entertaining. So I found a great news article that we can do this to today. So it's time to ask you guys for some parts of speech. Ready. Let's go. We're going to test your fifth grade English (laughs) class knowledge. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. (laughs) And fill out this article here. So the first thing I need is a number. 52. Nice. See, I like the confidence when it comes to the Mad Yeah, I know, know, right? The first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah, exactly. You got (laughs) to own it. All right. So now I need a noun. Gopher. That's going to work well. Well done. All right. Now I need a verb. Run. I forgot that needed to end in ing, so I'm oh, gonna make that running. Running. I almost said running, and then I stopped myself. It's like run. <laughs> now I need another noun. Let's go with quail. <laughs> Going with the obscure animals today. I like yes. It. Yes. I don't even question my bird genus knowledge. 
<laughs> Never. All right. I need the name of a person. It could be someone you know, a celebrity. Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. Nice. I'm really vibing with all of Kara's choices today. <laughs> 52 Janet Jackson. <laughs> Love it. Thanks. And the confidence, like I said. I'm yeah. trying, yeah. An adjective. Uh, An adjective describes a noun. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's helpful. Sparkly. <laughs> Sparkly. <laughs> sparkly. If you could please put it in there with that particular <laughs> accent. Sparkly. It's pretty sparkly. <laughs> sparkly Janet. All right. Each of you need to come up with a plural noun. Stripes. Hogs. <laughs> More animals. It's going to be an animal rich story. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really fun. <laughs> All right. I need another number. 75. All right. I need two more nouns. One each. Lumberjack. Oh, beanie. Two organizations. Oh, my. Amazon. <laughs> this one's going to be harder yeah, for it me. It can be like a business or like a nonprofit or like a... Okay. okay. Um, Wait, I kind of want to change Amazon to Pizza Hut for some reason. Can I do that? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> we can back it Perfect. I want a good one for this. Um, the Sisters of Mercy. Is that a thing? Sisters of Mercy. Okay. Seems like it's an organization. Is that is it a thing? Where I have you? no idea. I think it's a thing. I'm Googling. Hang on. <laughs> It may be like a convent, so that may be like inappropriate. It's a rock band. Oh, even better. It's <laughs> a rock band. This is new information. It's also, of course there's a rock it's band. It's an English rock band. It's yeah. also a Catholic women religious congregation. So okay. there you go. It's right. also a rock band. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> well, you can interpret the story Bonus. however you want, whether it's a women's Catholic organization or, or a rock, rock band. band. <laughs> I frequently have that confusion. <laughs> All right. I need two more nouns and then we're done. One from each of you. Uber driver. I'm just like looking around the room at objects in the doorknob. Very good. All right. We're going to stick these in here and then we'll be ready for our newscast. Yay. And now an update from Real Talk Action News. <laughs> for the first time in at least 52 years, New York City made it through the weekend without a single gopher. <laughs> Goodness. From Friday through Sunday, not one person was running, according to the city's <laughs> quail force. <laughs> I'm just imagining this like elite squad of whales quail? known as the quail force. Like, quails. That's amazing. <laughs> Mayor Janet Jackson called the achievement, quote, sparkly on Monday. Yes! While speaking with hogs at a graduation ceremony for newly sworn in Uber drivers. <laughs> Perfect. A city of 75 people and not a single gopher for three days, she said. <laughs> Let's thank the lumberjacks for what they've achieved. <laughs> so violent. I know. I don't even want to know how the lumberjacks did that. <laughs> Janet Jackson attributed the decline in gophers in part to cooperation between Pizza Hut and Sisters of Mercy, <laughs> as well as police efforts to prosecute beanie possession. Oh! Oh, yes. In other words, Isaac would not Isaac. be I'm toast. allowed Look in out. New York City with the gophers. <laughs> Unfortunately, the respite from the gophers was short-lived. Police reported a doorknob around 1 p.m. Oh. on Monday oh, dear. in the Bronx. <laughs> and there you have it. That's this week's Real Talk News Update. Yay. Wow. Mayor Janet. <laughs> sparkly. So sparkly. Quail Force. <laughs> Now it's time for our conversation for this week. And on this week's episode, we are discussing the Enneagram. Now, I think it was back in season one. We did an episode on personality types. Yes. And so obviously we've kind of tipped our hand that at least a couple of us are, are pretty into mm -hmm. kind of the personality typing thing. Right. It's true. And I don't know that there's any personality typing system bigger right now 
especially in Christian circles, than the Enneagram. Right. Yes. I mean, this thing is everywhere. It has blown up, especially within the last year, I would say. And yeah. maybe before that, but in our area, maybe in the yeah. last year, I've heard people talking about it more and more and more. The Enneagram is kind of an interesting personality typing structure because one, I think it's kind of misunderstood or poorly mm-hmm. understood by a lot of people. And then also there's kind of some unique attributes of the Enneagram compared to other popular personality profiling systems. So Mm -hmm. the place that I want to start is kind of imagining that we're talking to someone who's not super familiar with the Enneagram and attempt to answer some of the questions that that person might have. Yeah. So, for example, I think an obvious place to start would be, what is the Enneagram? (laughs) Where did it come from? Yes. So if someone were to ask you, what is the Enneagram? What would your like short version of an answer look like? Can I steal it from someone else? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because this person's smarter than me and has researched it longer. Uh And I think I quoted her in the other podcast we did about personality types and Bogle. She wrote a book called Reading People and a whole chapter is about the Enneagram. I really appreciate her analogy. She said, So each of us look at the world through a pair of unique glasses, and sometimes those glasses bring clarity. They can also distort our vision. So the Enneagram is actually a way of looking at the glasses themselves Mm. and understanding Mm. how they affect the way we see and respond to the world. Okay. Instead of just kind of experiencing it without realizing I'm looking through a unique pair of glasses. Right. It's a way of looking at the glasses we're already wearing. There's nine different ways that we tend to gravitate towards yeah. looking at the world according to the Enneagram. This is why we have to have Kara on this <laughs> That is so much better than my explanation of there's numbers <laughs> and we've got them. But that's what a lot of people's understanding uh, of the Enneagram right. is, right? right. I, mean, I think part of the concerns in some Christian circles about the Enneagram mm-hmm. has to do with kind of this mystery surrounding it a little bit with you don't really understand what you're talking about. Some of that comes from the name Enneagram, Mm -hmm. which kind of sounds a little bit mystical and strange. And then there's the drawing. Right. It's accompanied by like this Yu-Gi-Oh battle circle. (laughs) You have to figure out what tree you're... It it looks very mystical. I will say like it does. And I think people think of like the word pentagram or even like the drawing of a pentagram. And so they kind of make connections to like the occult or something mystical and then people start talking about these numbers right Right. you hear these like people who are super fanatical about the Enneagram they're like I'm a nine and you're a seven and that person's a three and you're like I don't know what any of this means but it kind of sounds like you're talking about like astrology or something right Right. yeah but this is very different than like an astrological Mm -hmm. system for example right yeah very very different and it's funny I never thought of any of that when I looked at this Mm -hmm. I just thought oh there's a lot of information there what does that all mean and then once I started to kind of get into it a little bit more I was like okay this is super fascinating I am personality nerd and geek so I've been reading about it for a little over a year and listening to podcasts more intentionally about it and I have not come across anything that felt weird and mystical to Mm -hmm. me it's Mm -hmm. all felt very much like this is just a way of explaining the way that different people show up to the world because of different experiences they've had because of different ways that they're brain works. Mm -hmm. It's just a way of understanding how you and how the people around you look at the world and how you can look at the world so differently and look at the same situation and see it so differently. It's because we're we're all looking through different lenses. It gives you a little bit of context. What's going on with you and maybe your neighbor. Exactly. So a couple things I think where this could uh, come from a little bit. I do think that the Enneagram is obviously as a personality typing system, it asks people to be pretty introspective. It Mm -hmm. does. And introspection, in my opinion, is a good thing. Yeah. Some people might kind of disagree with that and, Mm. and be concerned by that. 
might tie it back to things like Gnosticism or things like that, oh. that there's some sort of like deep secret knowledge about ourselves mm. that we need to understand. That could start to sound a little bit mystical. Mm. The other thing that I've noticed is that a lot of people who seem to be drawn toward the Enneagram, including some popular Enneagram authors, mm-hmm. is they tend to be very kind of poetic in nature. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And there's a big gap between mysticism and being right. poetic. Oh, yeah. But I think sometimes that could contribute to kind of this reputation that the Enneagram has. I think in one book I read, he was talking about kind of aligning yourself to like the rhythm of life and things like that. Some of these types of lines can be interpreted as kind of this new agey Mm, uh, type of thing that could send up a red flag. That makes sense. The other thing about the Enneagram that's important to note, and we won't get into this too much because you can go and research this more on your own if it's something that interests you, Mm -hmm. is the origin of the Enneagram. Yeah. And it's kind of shady. We don't don't exactly know where the Enneagram came from. Right. It's not really confirmed. And so that may add to some concern that people might have in terms of its credibility And like any school of thought, there's like both camps were saying like this is a thousand year old way of identifying yourself. And then there's other people who are like, yo, this came up in the 70s. So yeah. Don't, don't worry. Like, <laughs> yeah. Some people say that it's an ancient system and it's not necessarily rooted in like a Christian understanding of the world. Yeah. The only thing that we really know is that it kind of started to gain some ground in the 70s in right. Chile with a group of psychologists down there. Mm-hmm. And then eventually kind of was latched on to by Richard Rohr, who mm-hmm. is uh, a Franciscan, I believe. I think so. And wrote a book about this, I think that came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. And that really started to popularize it both in Catholic circles mm-hmm. before yes. Protestant evangelicalism really started to latch onto this really just in the last 10 or 15 years right. or yeah, so. Yeah, much more recently. So that's a, a very like high level overview of what we do know about where the Enneagram yeah. came from. But yes. again, there's a lot that we don't know. And some of the lack of concrete details about the origins of the Enneagram, mm-hmm. I think may be part of why some people have a little bit of concern mm-hmm. about where this came from. So let's get into the follow up question from there, though, which is what is the basic structure of the Enneagram? If someone wants to know about this, they can go read a book or a website that's going to break this down in a lot of detail. Right. But just from a high flyby overview level, mm-hmm. how does the Enneagram <laughs> work? Break it down for me if I have no idea what you're talking about. There are these nine types of people that the Enneagram says generally you gravitate towards one of these ways of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Um, those types are organized into the head center of, of being, I guess. So maybe you operate more from your mind or your head, the heart and the body. And so each type fits into one of those Mm. three. That's kind of the basic structure, one through nine. And it can actually get even more complicated. You can kind of go as deep with this as you want to. Mm -hmm. You can stay at the surface level or you can go, it breaks down into subtypes. There are three subtypes of each type. I actually kind of like that about the Enneagram because it allows for some complexity and nuance right. um, from so, my perspective. Unlike, say, like Myers-Briggs, where there's like 16 mm-hmm. different types. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. talking about nine with yes. the Enneagram. There isn't necessarily anything special about nine numbers or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just kind of in the system. That's the number yeah. of categories they came up with. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I've read about the Enneagram that I kind of like and appreciate is I think the Enneagram compared to some other personality typing systems tends to be focused on 
motivations. Yes. So what motivates you as a person? Mm. Yeah. Whereas other systems like say the Myers-Briggs might be more focused on behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. analyze this person and what they do in the world, yes. their behavior. Yes. And then in the Enneagram, behaviors can be indicators for mm-hmm. what motivates you. Yeah. But the core thing that really determines which of these nine types you identify most with is not your behavior, but it's your underlying motivations for why you do what you do. So one simple way that you can explain this is by breaking it down into each personality type's need. Yes. So for example, a type one is often called the perfectionist Mm -hmm. and they have the need to be perfect. A type two has the need to be needed. Yes. They're the helper. They want right. to be needed by other people. I think that's Isaac's type, by the way, right? Yeah. Number yep. two. Okay. That's me. <laughs> type three is the need to succeed. Mm. So someone that says, oh, I just, I really want to be successful. I want other people to see me as successful. Mm. Yeah. That's something that motivates me. A type four says, I have a need to be special or mm. unique. I want people to see me as as a special snowflake, darn yeah. it. Which, by the way, I'm a four, so I can kind of poke fun at fours. Yeah. That makes it okay. That's fair. Type five has the need to understand. Mm. Type six, the need to be sure or mm. certain. They need something that's solid. Mm. Type seven, the need to avoid pain. Mm. They're really not into pain. Yeah. Want to avoid that at all costs. The type eight... This is a fun one. Yeah. The need to be against. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you might know some of these types of people in your life. And, and type eights are great people. They are. But the need to be against. So kind of a, a natural skeptic. You know, when they hear something kind of going, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that. And, mm. and kind of naturally confrontational at times. Mm-hmm. A type nine, the need to avoid. Mm-hmm. And Kara's a type nine. So yep. you know all about yep. that. Oh, yes. Yes. It's very fun. So obviously, <laughs> again, that was a very quick just yeah. run through yes. of some of the underlying needs of each of these types. You can go through and, and read these in more detail if you'd like. Yeah. But essentially, it's these needs, this underlying motivation right. that defines the type. Everyone can tap into these needs at a given point in your life or in any given circumstance, right? Yes. And so anyone could feel the need to avoid pain at some point. Exactly. But that may not be your underlying need that guides most of the decisions that you make in your life. Exactly. And I think what's interesting about this is when you realize what your main motivation is, if you use this as a tool, the Enneagram more so than something like Myers-Briggs or something helps you be aware in a really good way, in a really positive way of your shortcomings with mm-hmm. some of your needs. Like if I am always trying to be helpful, sometimes I need to check my motivations on why I'm doing things. Right. Because mm-hmm. if I have an internal need to be needed, mm-hmm. that means that sometimes I get a little bit give and take with people like, oh, I'm doing this. So later on, you're going to remember that I did this uh, for you. Right. And right. I think what's cool about Enneagram is I've never had that brought up. No one has ever told me like, hey, you need to really check your motivations right? because perfectionism is rewarded. And so is helping. Right. And so is helping. No one's going to be like, you shouldn't help people. Yeah. (laughs) And the cool thing about "Uh." Enneagram is that it gives you an opportunity to like look at your own self and go, Mm. I know that I'm doing these positive things, Mm. but motivation can kind of be like analyzed through Enneagram. Right. Mm. And it's not necessarily like a criticism of all of these things of like, you shouldn't be this way. It's more of a caution sign that says, hey, this is the way you view the world. This is what you're motivated by. If you know that, you're going to be more aware of the potential pitfalls Mm. you might run across 
along the way. Mm. And if you're prepared and you kind of understand what those pitfalls are, that's going to better allow you to navigate those during the course of your life. Right. Yeah. Most authors will tell you like the goal of a lot of the Enneagram stuff is to just make you aware of your unconscious habits. Like we're already Mm. doing this stuff. Right. It's mostly about like making you aware of the ways that you fall into a habit or a pattern that's unhealthy. And how can you become aware of it and say, Oh, I'm doing that because this. And if you can tap into what's going on underneath the surface, the fears, desires, motivations and core needs and find a healthy way to respond instead of the unhealthy ways that you naturally gravitate to. That's kind of the goal and the point, which is what I think makes it kind of a unique personality system. It's not just like, here's who you are and you're stuck that way forever. It's like, no, here's how you can be aware of what's actually going on underneath the surface Mm -hmm. and take that moment of awareness to go a different way. Become a more healthy version of yourself. Exactly. So here's a question that comes up a lot. I think when people are not super familiar with the Enneagram, how can you say there are only nine personality types? in the world? (laughs) That kind of sounds ridiculous. Yeah, that's fair. I think you were talking about this the other day, Anson, that the world is so complex. We crave understanding and we crave systems to put things into Mm -hmm. because otherwise we can't understand the world. It's overwhelming. There's so much information. So this is one way that people have come up with to say, let's see if we can find a way to help us understand each other and human behavior. Right. But it's one way. It's not the only way. It's not the ultimate thing. It's just a tool in a box of many other tools. Mm -hmm. People are incredibly complex. So it is wise to go, yeah, this isn't going to explain everything about everyone that you know. Right. God didn't create nine buckets of personality and then create each person and drop them into one of those nine. Exactly. Right. So these are not like objective divine things that exist. A guy somewhere, we don't even know what guy or maybe a gal, I don't know, came up with, hey, what if people kind of fit into these nine categories Mm -hmm. broadly? Could that help us understand people better? Right. I think if we keep that perspective on it, Mm -hmm. that's going to allow it to be something that is used for good and in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we kind of lose sight of that and start to think of this as some sort of objective truth, like I am a four, it defines who I am. (laughs) That starts to get a little bit dangerous because, well, no, God Mm -hmm. didn't create me as a four. He created me as me. Yeah. Uh, It's not, it's not meant to be a box or a cultural substitute for you. Like you don't get your own tribe of fours just because Mm -hmm. you took a test. Like this is a way to improve your life and interpersonal relationships, not like stick a label on your four. One way that I've heard it described is kind of like a rainbow. You know, you have a a few colors in a rainbow. Maybe you have a bunch of people who fall into this like red stripe, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe Mm -hmm. type one is red. The thing is, there's about a bazillion different subtypes uh-huh. of, of red, right? right? How many different shades of red exist? Oh, that's a good and point. And how different are they yeah. from one another? Yeah. So, yes, maybe a lot of people could fall broadly into the category of red. Yeah. yeah. But there are literally millions of colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there are so many different types of red. And you've even alluded to it. Yeah. The Enneagram even kind of allows for that as it well. Does. So you can be a one that has kind of nine tendencies or two tendencies. Right. There are a few different subtypes of one yeah. in and of itself that you can get into. There are right. wings, there are subtypes. There yeah, are... There's, there's all of these different yeah. things that even the Enneagram kind of accounts for mm-hmm. where you quickly multiply from just nine yeah. to a lot more than that. One thing that I've really liked and you might find if you decide to study the Enneagram further 
is that the Enneagram also tends to talk about health. Yes. And so there are multiple levels of health yes. within a type. And this is the danger of typing someone by behavior <laughs> is you can have a very healthy person. Right. Uh, and when I say healthy, I'm not talking about physically necessarily. Yeah. I'm talking about kind of mentally, spiritually. If you have a very healthy one versus a very unhealthy one, right. a healthy person is going to understand their motivation understand how it influences their behavior mm. and how to leverage that in a positive way. Mm. Whereas an unhealthy person may be totally unaware of what their motivation even is mm -hmm. right. and is going to act out in ways that are negative as a result of their primary motivation. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of room for variance among even just one type of yeah. person yeah, in the Enneagram. Absolutely. So how about this? If I'm a person that says, all right, you're telling me about the Enneagram. It's this personality typing system. What can I get out of it? That would lead us to the question of what have you learned from the Enneagram that might convince someone else to say, okay, maybe this could be a tool that might be worth checking out for myself. Something that separated this from like the Myers-Briggs. I took Myers-Briggs in college. Yes, yeah, it was kind of yes. like this. Oh, cool. I like to get alone <laughs> time, but also I'm productive. And like that tells me something I kind of already knew or it mm -hmm. felt more like a pat on the back. Whereas this helped me examine behavior, being someone who thrives off the need to be needed. I can look back over times where I've been healthy and that has shown itself mm. and times where I've been unhealthy. And that has definitely shown shown itself. And this kind of was a way to examine that behavior and maybe create spaces in my own life to mm. get to a healthier place. This helped me realize that making myself available at all times to help in every single thing isn't necessarily the best thing. I'm predisposed to do that, but that's not always what I should be doing. And mm. the Enneagram actually really helped me examine that. For me, the Enneagram has been interesting because I'm one of these people that thought I was three different numbers. Mm. <laughs> um, it has been a journey. Definitely. I thought I was a, let's see, I think I started with a four and then I moved on to, no, maybe I display all the tendencies of a two. And then eventually through digging deeper into more of the motivation and the underlying needs and not just the behaviors, I discovered I'm pretty sure I identify most with a nine. Which actually makes a lot of sense because apparently nines mistype themselves most often <laughs> because their need is to avoid separation from people and the feeling of being disconnected. They just want peace internally and externally. And so what happens sometimes is you can end up merging with other people and just taking on their opinions and their preferences and not having any boundaries yourself because mm. you just want to you just be, want to appease everyone essentially want, yeah and it's born from this desire to stay connected mm. you don't feel okay in and of yourself like if i set up a boundary here it's going to create disconnection is mm. the fear and that kind of thing and so yeah. all of that i've lived with and been very aware of my whole life there's something about naming something to mm. me that's really powerful and helpful naming a thing inside of me that is a struggle or a problem, being able to say, okay, where's that coming from? And yeah. what's interesting to me about a lot of the Enneagram stuff is I think a lot of these needs spring from something in childhood that was a wound or something in you that was early on in your life, at least that's a theory, caused you to believe something about yourself that's probably not true. And therefore you started behaving in ways to cope with that mm -hmm. and to get this need met that you believed in childhood, like, oh, I'm not important. Or if I state a preference, I'm going to be rejected. So I'm never going to do that again. I think that the Enneagram is one way to be aware of that. So for me, it's been about, it's okay to be a person <laughs> and <laughs> have an opinion. And that's really, really difficult for me. And sometimes conflict feels like dying. I just have to be aware, like this is a normal thing for someone that sees the world like I do. Mm. 
but also that's not necessarily true. I'm not going to die, mm. even though I feel like I am. Mm. Right. <laughs> and there are ways that I can I can channel this need or this um, perspective, this desire in a healthy way. There's ways I can be compassionate to the little girl inside me that's freaking out right now. Mm-hmm. So that's some of the things that have been helpful for me and also understanding other people in my life as they have gone on an Enneagram journey. My fiance and I talk a lot about this, being able to look at them with compassion and say, oh, it makes sense that you are struggling with that particular situation right now because these are the things that stir up fear in you. These are your desires and motivations. Here's where those things come from. So it makes sense right. that that would be really hard for you. How can right. I help? Yeah, I think the one thing that jumps out to me as you both were kind of explaining what you've learned from this is that it's not necessarily about discovering, okay, I have this need, I have this underlying motivation, and sometimes it leads me to do unhealthy things. Mm -hmm. But because I am this personality type, those unhealthy things that I do are justified, Mm -hmm. right? Like a nine, for example, this need to be the peacemaker. There's an underlying good thing that's happening there. Like you just want to be loved. Right. And the way that I can be loved is by making everyone happy and making everyone satisfied. But sometimes that can be expressed in unhealthy ways. Right. Mm -hmm, It can mm -hmm. allow you to kind of lose sight of who you are and have any opinions or or boundaries for yourself. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, "Okay, well, because I'm a nine, that makes that okay," Right. Mm -mm. It's about saying, no, I'm a nine. I recognize that these are some issues that may pop up in my life. And my awareness of those things is going to be a tool that I can use to get better. Right. To grow in that area. And to recognize that ultimately the things that I do to cope and try to meet those needs don't actually work. Mm, Like avoiding conflict eventually creates conflict. That's something that's been helpful for me. Okay, this feels like it's meeting this need, but actually it's not. So what will actually meet the need? Yeah. So I, I just think there's something I think that it's an important point to understand about the system is that it's not necessarily just an excuse to be who you are. It's a tool that says, if this is who I am, this is how I can become a healthier version of that person, if that makes sense. And I think that's a really important distinction because if we look at a personality typing tool as just a way to justify our behavior, Mm -hmm. it can kind of become this arrogant thing of like, well, I do this, but you just have to deal with it because this is who I am. As opposed to saying, no, I understand that these are some of the tendencies that I have in my life that can be negative, Mm -hmm. but this is going to give me some tools with which to become a healthier person as a result of understanding who I am a little bit better. Exactly. Let's real quickly, before we're done, touch on the opposite side of this. Are there some potential dangers in the Enneagram? We've talked a lot. Obviously, the three of us are relatively positive when it comes to Mm -hmm. our take on the Enneagram. We all think it's useful and have gotten some things out of it. But what are the potential dangers of the Enneagram, if any? Have you run into any of those yourself? I've been talking with a few people who have gotten a little bit jaded about this because it's something that has blown up. Yeah. There are some people who are naturally just like, oh my gosh, why? Like, right. what is this thing? <laughs> Those eights in particular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if you just against it? Um, I love it because one of my friends, if I was typing someone, I would say is an eight probably. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I was texting him about this last night and he was like, what frustrates me is that these people get wrapped up. They get their number and then now this is their personality. You could interchange it with Myers-Briggs, astrology. I'm a Virgo. I'm a two. You're high. I'm Isaac. I'm a two. Like that, <laughs> right. that sort of it's like your identity. Yeah. It's your yeah. entire identity rather than a means to improve yourself. At mm-hmm. least that's what I've noticed too. People get super duper into it and that's 
it. That's the mm. end all be all to human personality. And I don't know. I think that's kind of whack. Right. <laughs> I, like we said earlier, yeah. I think it's important to keep it in perspective, right? Yeah. yeah. If you want to say I'm a two, that's fine. I'm not saying you can't yeah. say I'm a two, yeah. but you have to understand what that means, right? Right. right? You are not by some objective measure of the universe, <laughs> right. an inherent two, right. like a two is just a number yeah. Yeah. and it just happens to be a number that some random person assigned to some motivations yeah. and to a personality profile, yeah, right? Yeah. It could get a little bit out of control, I think, where we could slip into this way of thinking of I've been searching for this meaning of like who I am my right. whole life and, and I'm going to get totally wrapped up in the fact that I'm a nine or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And we got to make sure that we don't replace our imago dei being created as an image bearer of god that's where we really find our true core Mm -hmm. identity if we find our identity in anything else Mm -hmm. whether it's some activity we enjoy a place that we live a personality profiling system yeah none of that stuff is going to ultimately solve all of our problems in the way that jesus can frankly yeah So one other thing I've noticed that could be a potential danger is the tendency to use this as a weapon against other people. And I think it's really easy to do. And I do it and I don't realize I'm doing it to look at someone's behavior like we were talking about earlier. Or if they've told you this is the type that I identify with to then take those negative aspects about that, the Mm. things that you learn and kind of throw it back at them like, oh, you're being such a two right now. And that is a really dangerous way to use this. Number one, because if you're just throwing a number at someone you don't actually know, they haven't told you, you have no idea. We cannot evaluate the motivations of another person. And that's what this is based on. This whole system. Such an important point. Yeah. It requires a lot of introspection. So I confess I've been guilty of this because I get really excited about it. And so I'm like, I bet you're this number. And I need to be careful about that because each person needs to take that journey right. for themselves. Well, and I don't think that it's intended that way no, when no, you no, say no. something like that. Right. But I think another potential danger that we have to remember is it kind of feels like going back to that there's only nine personality types in the world right. thing. Right. When we go up to people who aren't familiar with a personality uh-huh. profiling system or whatever and we go, oh, you're a five. It like takes the infinite complexity of that person Mm. and it essentially boils it down and communicates to them like you're just a number right it's basically telling that person oh i get you i understand i don't need to know anything else about you just a few conversations with you and now i know the entire wholeness of like what makes you you and what an arrogant thing to say or to communicate right and again i know we don't always mean it that way but i think we have to be aware that That's how that comes across when you start throwing that around at people. People are going to go like, how arrogant are you to think that you understand Mm -hmm. the -hmm. entirety of who I am based on your little Enneagram exactly. system and your thing little over number. There. Yeah. And I think it is a little bit arrogant, honestly. I think it can be. Yeah. I like this quote from Russo Hudson that was in Ann Bogle's book, Reading People. He says, Individuals are understandable only up to a certain point, beyond mm. which they remain mysterious and unpredictable. Thus, while there can be no simple explanations for people as individuals, it's still possible to say something true about them, mm-hmm. which is what the Enneagram attempts to do. But to keep in mind, they're still mysterious and unpredictable, and we need to yeah. treat them as human beings and not as a number. My on repeat this week is Burn the Ships by For King and Country. For 
King and Country releasing their new album last week, and this is the title track, Burn the Ships, and I've been listening to this album a lot this week. I actually ran across an article a couple weeks ago by Luke, who is one of the members of the band, and he wrote this song. It's very personal for him. It has a lot to do about his wife, who was going through a really big battle with fear, shame, and addiction. Mm. Um, she was pregnant with their son. And was taking some anti-nausea drugs and ended up becoming addicted to it. And so they ended up on kind of this journey of how to overcome this. She went Mm. to outpatient therapy, but then was still kind of there was the struggle with some other pills to kind of balance this out. One day he said he came home and found her crying. She said, I'm flushing all the pills. I want to be fully present for my life and not numb anymore. It's a new day. He said this song is essentially a song about them putting the shame in the past and moving forward. It's a really beautiful song. Burn the ships, cut the ties, send a flare into the night, say a prayer, turn the tide, dry your tears and wave goodbye. I love the message of letting go of shame. I struggle a lot with that when I'm moving forward and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to move forward. But a lot of times that shame wants to hang on. Mm. And it's like, no, let's burn the ships. Don't even look back. And this is actually kind of cool. He also said he had read a book years ago about a Spanish explorer who arrived in a foreign land with all of his ships and men. The men didn't want to explore the new territory. They (laughs) wanted to stay on the confines of their ship because it was familiar and comfortable. He actually got them to the shore. The explorer gave the order to burn the ships so that they couldn't retreat. So he said, you know, I just feel like this, it's a really powerful picture of surrender, um, surrendering the past, stepping Mm. into a new day. My honor, Pete, this week is from our beta testers. This is what you guys have been loving. It's YWNL by Blake White. So this is one of these songs that I've really gotten into because I've worked at Real FM. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to lie, like at the start of being exposed to this music, not a huge fan of it. I can <laughs> yeah. say I have been bopping to the song right along with our beta have testers. You know. That's okay. awesome. This is just kind of a upbeat, happy rap phenomenon. Yes. And this is kind of one of those songs from Blake Whiteley. It's Interesting true. about my dude Blake. He is a rapper. This is his little quick story. During a show at Auburn University with Wiz Khalifa, I realized there had to be more than life than the temporary satisfaction of my sin. Long story short, I walked off the stage in the middle of the show with wow. Wiz and flew home to give my life to Christ. So Blake Wiley's kind of got like wow. this like really cool backstory that I had no idea about That's until cool. I sort of looked into him for this song. But Didn't either. I'm loving the song right now. It's one of those, the sun is out today. Yes. I could easily see myself putting this on, taking mm-hmm. a walk. It's just a nice kind of mm-hmm. upbeat song. I was honestly kind of surprised that this song did as well as it has done with our listeners. But I think there really is something to kind of the positive like energy of the song yeah. mm-hmm. that I tend to underestimate sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just need a pick me up song like that. It's true. Right? And the vibe of the song like has that in spades. It it's feels so like. poppy. That's yeah. A good point. I love it. All right. Well, this week it is my job to represent the on delete song of the week, the song that the beta testers are not feeling so much. Rip. <laughs> this week it's KB. B's song Long Live the Champion. This song is a collaboration between KB and Gabriel Rodriguez and Yariel. It is a Latin inspired song through and through. Uh. Lots of Spanish in this song. Definitely has that kind of Latin flavor to the song as well. And I feel like that probably in and of itself is kind of what has the song kind of teetering on the edge as far Mm. as staying on Real FM. 
the Latin infused songs tend to be a little bit more polarizing. Yeah. Mm. Some people really love Mm. This kind of new like Latin influence that's yeah. seeping into American pop music and other people just I think maybe aren't as familiar with it. It's kind of yes. new to them, a little bit out there and not something that mm. they're used to listening right. to. Mm. That's just kind of my theory on what's happening. The lyrical content of the song is great, in my opinion. Long Live the Champions KB basically calls believers in Christ to be champions of compassion mm. and share their love for God with other people. And it kind of celebrates like resilience and courage in the midst of that struggle. Mm. It's basically saying that the heart of God is to love and to protect and to care for people who are vulnerable. Mm. And you're not forgotten. You're victorious. You're a champion mm. because yeah. of what God has done for you. So I love that aspect of the song there are definitely some like pre-choruses and verses and things that are literally all in spanish yeah so if you're not (laughs) either bilingual or spanish speaking or going to spend some time looking up exactly what they're saying it's probably going to be relatively easy to miss (laughs) some of the message that's That's, in the song there yeah so i imagine that's probably part of the challenge but i've got to say just me personally i've really really enjoyed yeah a, a lot of the latin influence that's starting to show me, up in pop music me too i, I love think it's it. totally danceable for yeah. one thing and then too it's just i don't know i feel like it's kind of broadened my horizons yeah in terms of the types of music that i i listen to yeah at the same time like i said i've heard from people i, I can understand the thing about yeah. a new genre of music frankly right. like it yeah it's something that people aren't used to and it probably is going to take some getting used to that's fair i imagine maybe over time as we start to see more and more songs mm-hmm. like this show up in pop culture maybe people they're going to be yeah. a little more used to it a little more open wasn't well, it like based type of on music. certain stuff like the longer you're exposed to hip-hop songs like the more you get comfortable with it's them, true maybe? that's like been mm-hmm. that yeah. might just be anecdotal no but that's, that's a real no, thing definitely I think. I think as people listen to music and become more familiar with yeah. it they tend yeah. to like it more our beta testers with the way they vote on songs definitely yeah. shows that yeah. yeah that the more familiar people are with certain types of music the definitely. more they like it there are certain songs like say tuyo by social club misfits that yes. are in the same vein that have done much better probably because they're a little bit closer to some of the other types of music that we are familiar with Mm. this one goes all in on the latin inspired hip-hop thing and may, may just be a little bit too much too soon That wraps up our conversation this week on the Enneagram. I think there might be one more question out there for okay. this person who maybe wasn't super familiar with the Enneagram coming into the conversation that we just had. Yeah. And that might be, okay, cool. You convinced me that maybe this has some value. Where do I go to find more? Because we now just scratched what? the surface. Yes, we totally did. So a couple of quick resources. If you want kind of a flyby of the Enneagram and other personality types, Ann Bogle's book, Reading People, has tons of great information and links to other resources. That may be more if you're like a personality geek. Ian Morgan Cron wrote The Road Back to You, which is one that a lot of people have been reading. And he also has a podcast associated with it, which is a fun way to learn about it because he talks to a lot of different types. Some of my favorite episodes of his to listen to are the panels of the different types. So he'll have like a panel of people who identify as type five. So then you can hear how do they actually experience this in real life. So that podcast is called Typology mm-hmm. and it's Ian Morgan Cron. And I would definitely recommend that one for sure. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk podcast from Real FM. 
catch Real Talk with Anson and Kara from 4 to 7 p.m. Live every weekday on Real FM Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent or reflect the views of John Brown University, KLRC Radio, or Real FM.